why even bother thinking about Web3 or why think about blockchain? It doesn't have to do with saying, yes, go blockchain, which is why we're taking so much time to explore it. It's more about how does blockchain challenge fundamental assumptions that we have about technology, policy, the world, what it means to conduct a transaction. Because right now, if I wanted to buy a house, I had to go, like, I barely know the number of people that have to touch my information in order for me to get the, the keys to that house. But it's a lot. It's several companies. It's very complicated, very complex. There are people whose jobs it is to navigate that for me. Is that the best way? Is there a better way? I don't know. It could be the best way. But in terms of technology and thinking about for product people, it can help us ask new questions because this is uh, blockchain is another option. Dan, how are you today? George, I am doing well, and it's just good to see you. Thanks, man. It's good to be seen. And I'm excited for our, today's conversation. We have been we have we've been nerding out over the last couple episodes, and this is this mm-hmm. is gonna be kind of the wrap-up to our intro of this conversation around web three. The 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 topic I mean, that the internet has Decided the internet, yeah, as the they said, current yeah. topic of the century, apparently. What's funny is it might socially break the internet and also physically break it. We're not really sure. Yeah. Um, we, well, we'll you know, the verdict's still out. We'll have to see. Yeah, yeah. We're still learning. We're still exploring. Um, if, you, if you've been with us along the journey, we've had our very good friend, Tyler Hilker, with us. Um, and he's with us again today. Hey, Tyler, how are you? Hello. I am doing well this morning. Thank you very much. No, thank you. No, Tyler. Oh, oh, Thank okay, you. okay. You've given us your really? time, so okay. Um, and then we have <laughs> another that. guest. I'll take that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we have another guest with us today, which I'm really excited for. Um, we have an incredible development team here at Crema, and Mandy is one of our incredible developers that has gotten curious recently and has been jumping in and playing around with decentralized apps and a few other things. And she's kind of been this voice around the office where people are going, "Hey." Tell me what you're learning. And she's been sharing some stories. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have you here today with us, Mandy. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Good to be here with you all. So the goal, the goal of this last episode, I want to take some time for us to kind of go, oh, we've all been exploring. We've all been reading. Some of us have been dabbling, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's buying a cryptocurrency or jumping into NFT projects or building out some decentralized apps, some dApps, as they call them. Is that, mm-hmm. is that what they call them? Is that mm-hmm. right? Okay. Dat dap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. We went through I'm all the, the words. <laughs> the, yeah, I know. We're going to keep moving. Um, you know, we got wallets. We got chains. We got protocols. We got level ones. I mean, it's... Y'all, it's sci-fi, right? It's the future. We're living in the future. Um, but now I really want to land on um, on the big question of does it does it matter? Do we hmm. will this really be something anyone in the world should care about? Um, and especially, why does Crema care? Why are we exploring this? What's what's piquing our interest? Um, why are we asking these questions? Why are, why are we having these conversations? So, Mandy, you're new to the show, so I want to I want to throw it straight to you. Tell us a little bit about your journey or what piqued your curiosity to kind of jump in and start exploring, you know, this world of decentralized apps, or maybe that's not where you started. Maybe you were buying mana for Decentraland or something first, and then you, I don't know. <laughs> tell, tell, tell us how you got into it and what's your journey been like? Sure. So I first heard about Bitcoin maybe eight years ago and have been ignoring it ever since. <laughs> just because <laughs> like the rest of us like yeah, the rest yeah. of us awesome. <laughs> that was I mean in my mind <laughs> it was like an investment strategy a way to make money which I wasn't necessarily interested in and uh, I think what kind of got my interest again was Kremo was talking about it in terms of NFTs the metaverse that sort of thing maybe I think it was like last year. Well, at least that's the first time I remember hearing about yeah, it more. We started we started using the words. Yeah, yeah. I heard the words. <laughs> and honestly, that is not what piqued my interest either. Just because the way that I understood NFTs as, um, I don't know, just like that wasn't what piqued my interest 
um, the collectible nature of it, the kind of novelty of that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I actually, I went and looked back through my browser history because I was like, there was a YouTube video that I watched that piqued my interest, but I don't remember what it was. Mm. Um, it was by this YouTube channel called Fireship, which they make dev videos. And uh, anyways, the title of it was, is web three all hype. And so I went back through again recently and watched it. Um, and what caught my interest there was smart contracts because like throughout this whole thing is I've heard about like NFTs or Bitcoin. I hadn't really understood the technology underneath it, which was blockchain and including smart contracts and all that. Um, and so once I heard about smart contracts, they kind of talked through Ethereum, which I know y'all talked about in the previous episode and how you can build out a DAP. And so I, took that and ran with it. And, you know, cause when you hear all these terms, like I kind of went through that same process of like, these, there's so many words and it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's honestly, <laughs> it felt like I was kind of like learning development again. I, I told a few of you, like, it felt like I was back in the apprenticeship program. So I went through hmm. the dev apprenticeship program here. And so there's like the layer of like new technology words, new like words in general, like NFTs, web three, um, and there's just like so many layers to it too. Like, cause I got into the technology of it um, just cause I want to understand how things were actually wired together. Like you have mm-hmm. a front end, but then how does that actually like talk to the back end? And so that's why I went down the path of um, making a dApp. I mean, I haven't finished it. There's still like bits and pieces and I don't even know what it's going to be. Maybe nothing, just like a learning experiment. Um, but then there's also like the whole other side of like, this is impacting governments the financial sector economics like so i've kind of been like going into that world a little bit too um Mm. but yeah it's been a lot of fun what's been the biggest surprise as you've as you kind of dug in and you you started to look at either the vocabulary or the infrastructure or you know you even said like the way that front end connects to back end right we 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 I mean, that's a, it's oftentimes an oversimplification that we do here at Crema, which is to say there is a front end and then there is a back end. And it is simple as building both and they will, they will <laughs> symbiotically just come together and you will be a billionaire. Um, but what has that experience been like as you've been learning how, how it does dovetail off of the current way we think about building more centralized cloud-based applications? Yeah, I think that's like an interesting point, specifically like how they connect, which I know we're going to get into a little bit later, but like just the whole idea of like decentralization, like if we're using these, they're called providers, like in the middle to connect things like Alchemy or Infura, um, then like, is it truly decentralized? Um, But I think like some things that surprised me, this is, maybe I'll talk a little bit about the tech in a second but like yeah honestly i think the biggest surprise even though like when i went back and watched that fireship video that got me into it in the first place it talked a little bit about like the controversy or like the um differing opinions i think i just kind of bypassed that and went straight to the tech like i want to write a smart contract but like looking back at it now i think that's been the biggest surprise is just how many differing opinions there are about like mm. should we use blockchain or like is this is it all hype um and so yeah i think as far as the tech like something that surprised me maybe it wasn't so much a surprise it was just kind of like can i do this like when like using metamask like as authentication the first time i heard about it in a video i'm like can i download this on my work computer like what is this actually doing (laughs) (laughs) just like questions yeah Yeah. That little fox keeps looking at me. How yeah. do I get away from it? That you? was my favorite part, like the mouse, how it follows its face. I, so <laughs> I like other wallets better than MetaBask, honestly, oh, really? like Phantom and a few others, but they're they're for other protocols. But the but I I miss the 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 little fox. He's he's the best, or she's the best. I don't know. Um, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Tyler, I'm curious because you've talked about this as, before as well, and and and, and I want to go back to something Mandy you said around um, the fact that kind of the underlying infrastructure of this is is smart contracts, right? Mm. Um, 
we Tyler and I were were playing around with uh, an NFT project recently. That was just a fun one that we both kind of were nerding out on because it was about outdoors and stuff like that. And there was a big question. He kept saying like, "Well, we'll know how how good it goes, uh, how good the smart contract was, depending on how like efficient it was with its gas." And I was just like, "I have no idea what you're talking about there." <laughs> um, I was just like, "Will I get one? And do I have to pay a?" like a ton in gas fees, you know, like I was just, I'm this, I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. Um, so go back to the, the kind of the, the underlying smart contract layer. What, I guess where, where, where is that going to be kind of this thing that is changing the world quote unquote is, or is it going to be, I mean, I think that's the big question is our smart contracts, the future. Hmm. Um, and I, maybe I'll just throw that out to the group in general, but, I want to come back to this underlying layer that we've kind of talked about and hinted at, which is smart contracts on a block that yes, sometimes are facilitating coins and sometimes are facilitating non-fungible tokens, but could be facilitating other things. Um, do we think that's the future? Is that going to change the world? Yeah. So to address that, that particular case uh, and that comment, there are many projects specifically NFT projects that rush to put something out there and they're not thinking of the performance, how efficient the contract is. And that can have an impact on how much you pay in terms of gas in order to uh, fulfill the terms of that contract. And so sloppy contracts can, can be more expensive, whereas elegant contracts like one we were playing around with, it was actually surprisingly good. And yeah, which is smart. a relief because uh, that project in, uh, it was bringing in that discord. There were many, many people saying, this is my first NFT project. I have yeah. no idea. I just love the outdoors. I just love the national parks and I want to put, participate with this. Yeah. And so it was refreshing that the contract um, didn't cost hundreds of dollars. And so uh, when you ask our smart contracts in the future, this cost to participate in the protocol is a key factor. And so it's not just enough to have a smart contract. It's, is it expensive to run that smart contract? Because if so, fewer people are more likely to participate, especially at the enterprise layer where you are running, uh, where the smart contract might be executed frequently. If it costs $300 every time you run a, a transaction, that's just gonna be not sustainable. And so that's mm. partly a function of Ethereum as a network and they're doing some things to work on that. But it's also one of the key problems that other protocols are trying to solve where uh, some of them are designed for very extremely low cost transaction fees and uh, they're distributed in different ways. Uh, and so it's that's the first thing that comes to my mind in terms of our smart contracts, the future, it's the cost to participate. The second aspect is that we're at a point now where a lot of smart contracts or use cases for smart contracts aren't all that unique to from web two, if we can do a lot of this work with web two infrastructure, where it's just, you go to a website, you give it some money and then you get something in return. That's not all that interesting. Where smart contracts get interesting is not, is that one website that you go to doesn't own or have exclusive rights to the information that you put into it. So when I go to this website to mint an NFT, the fact that I own that NFT lives on the blockchain and anybody can access that. And so anybody can see it, anybody can uh, uh, help me make use of that. Uh, I can port that over elsewhere. So there's different things I can do with it. It's not limited to that one silo of that website. And yeah. so part of smart contracts becoming more widely available is people being able to differentiate those different use cases and then make use of that, seeing value on the, the, the distributed side and, um, and focusing their effort there. Mm. I, I I think it's really interesting because it's it, the thing that I had to wrap my head around as I started to play around with even getting into NFTs is this idea that once I purchase an NFT using a wallet, like for instance, I kind of need to go someplace else to see it, right? Mm -hmm. Because now it's like this this thing that I own or that I have a an exclusive um, rights to, right? And then I have to go figure out like, okay, cool, I own the asset but it exists someplace it's hosted someplace. So now I got to go find a way to, to, to get to the computer that, that actually can look at the assets wherever it's hosted. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that took a little bit of shifting my brain. Cause I'm so used to all of those assets being held under the same, um, you know, ownership, which is usually Google or Amazon or something like that, or, or, you know, the, the company that is, um, facilitating the project as a whole, you know, mm-hmm. they would have built out the in total, like the view, the edits, the, the, the destroying of that page all would exist right there versus now. And we, I think this, it's, it's a pretty public kind of fun project. So I don't feel weird about talking about it. So like we were talking about the national parks NFT, right? Mm-hmm. What's interesting about that one is it's like, okay, I minted on their website, which means I hit the, my wallet. I assume I'm signing into, or I'm, 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 this is, this is where I, I got to ask some questions, some nerdy questions for a second. When I'm going to do a smart contract, when I'm signing a smart contract, of course, they're using some kind of skeuomorphism kind of terms there, right? Of like, I want you to think about it as a contract, like you're signing a piece of paper, but it's actually, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something against an application that's been built, correct? Or written. Yeah. Meaning I'm yep, kind of, maybe I'm throwing that a little bit to you as I think about smart contracts, what you're really saying is that the contract itself is an application. Am I, am I understanding that right? Or am I saying that wrong? I think, I think that's right. Like a smart contract, at least with Ethereum would be written in a language called Solidity. And mm-hmm. that in a sense is your backend, like the smart contracts are like the backend. And so like, as you're interacting on the front end, and taking actions there, it calls functions that are written in Solidity in that smart contract. And then that's right. like where the execution happens. See, mm. now I think this is really important. And I think this is actually probably what a lot of common users don't understand, which they might've heard of Solidity. They might've heard of, they know smart contracts, they have to sign with the wallet, but they're making all these parallels. Even myself probably am just now catching up to this idea that what, what I'm not doing is e-signing a PDF of a piece of paper that somebody just put together a really well-written contract, mm-hmm. right? I think that we, that language is actually kind of doing us a little disservice because my first impression is I'm signing something, albeit digitally, I'm signing something to say, cool, I bought that. Can you give me the receipt? And then cool, like I my address was the, the thing on the receipt which proves that I own that NFT or mm-hmm. I'm participating in this project or whatever. That's not, that's a little over, it's, I, that's too simple. It, it is actually saying my address is going through an application, is being written into the application, is being stored on the blockchain um, through Solidity. And there's actually, like you said, there's functions happening there beyond mm-hmm. just, okay, everybody's signing the same PDF. As long as you signed it, we'll give you a receipt and have, be on with your day. Is that right? I think it's like another interesting thing about smart contracts Oh, I'm not answering your question directly. No, it's fine. Keep um, going. But yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I just learned something. So it was an aha moment for me. That's great. But go, another uh, interesting thing. Go ahead. Well, yeah, like, I think maybe it was Dan who was talking like in a previous episode about like how like contracts themselves are like complicated enough in like hmm. plain yeah. English, but like, or whatever language you speak, but if you're talking about smart contracts, like, and them being the future, like, how are we going to communicate what they say to someone who doesn't understand solidity or whatever language it's written in? Like, are you gonna have to have another, like, plain English contract that explains what's in it? You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know. You bring up a really good point, Mandy. I was thinking about that the entire time you were just talking about smart contracts, because the analogy I use just for me to understand is just, you know, a real estate or some sort of transaction um, that has a lot of written documentation contract. And so there's been so many blog articles and YouTube videos of like, well, can the middle person title company or whatever be taken from that? And then that video I watched made a great point. It's like, what about all the regulation and laws tied up in specific types of transactions? You can't do away with those with a smart contract. (laughs) There's still going to be someone somewhere, like you just said, reviewing that. I mean, if you enter into something, especially buying a house or whatever, you're reading a lot of, you know, fine print, maybe not all of it, because there's just way too many documents to sign when you buy a house. I'm not reading that fine print. I should have, but I probably... There is, yeah, so could they replace something like that? Maybe, but man, what a problem, because then you're like 
you know, thinking about policy, um, you know, regulatory policy. And that, you know, that goes also into financial sector and all of that. But there's a there'd be a lot of societal change just to be able to, you know, uh, facilitate a transaction like that with a smart contract. And then people that don't understand or have a very difficult time understanding, like myself, this technology, how do you present it to them in a way where they can understand what just happened? Yeah. You know, pen to paper makes sense for most people. Yeah. But the technology behind it, it's, it'd be, it's an education shift as so well. That's, that's one of the things when we, when I think about why, why even bother thinking about web three or why think about blockchain is that as a new technology and it, it, it doesn't have to do with saying, yes, go blockchain, which is why we're taking so much time to explore it. It's more about how does blockchain challenge fundamental assumptions that we have about technology, policy, the world, mm -hmm. what it means to conduct a transaction. Because right mm -hmm. now, if I wanted to buy a house, I had to go, like, I barely know the number of people that have to touch my information in order for me to get the, the keys to that house. But it's a lot. It's several companies. It's very complicated, very complex. And mm -hmm. there are people whose jobs it is to navigate that for me, right? And so is is that the best way? Is there a better way? I don't know. It could be the best way. But in terms of technology and thinking about for product people, it can help us ask new questions because this is, it's not, uh, blockchain is another option. But it, in order to help us, in order for us to evaluate it properly, we have to ask questions all the way down to our root understanding of what technology should do, could do, mm -hmm. and not just technology, but the best way for people in societies to interact with each other. And so uh, it's when I first got into crypto and, and blockchain things, I, in order to properly understand it, I had to do, I felt like I had to do research. People, plenty of people buy crypto without going this far, but I had to go back into learning about how order books work in terms mm -hmm. of like the current financial markets and why mm -hmm. does this financial system operate in this particular way so that I can understand whether or not crypto was actually more efficient, more effective, all that. Because it wasn't about speculation. It was like, how, do, why is this this way? This seems really complicated. turns out it mm -hmm. is. And so if, if we can strip our, the questions and the things that we take for granted about web two and the technology that we're already familiar with, that's going to help us understand and work within web two anyway, rather mm -hmm. we don't have to choose web three, but we can make better decisions within web two and even mm -hmm. building on using web two technologies like react on top of web three, uh, because web two doesn't totally do away with web two technologies. So mm -hmm. asking when I think about the why in summary, when I think about the why ask questions about web three, it is, it helps us make, better decisions because we're forces us to ask harder questions. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Yeah. I feel like that's something I've come back to a lot too, is like, this has got me thinking about so much more outside of blockchain. And it's not that I couldn't have had these conversations apart from learning about this, but it's like brought up so much more in terms of like, you talked about like the history of money or like societal changes and just like learning about that. Um, I was even listening to <laughs> Tyler, you talked in a previous episode about your web three crush. And mine is a guy named Sepp Kambar, who I heard about, I actually heard about him from a Ted talk that he gave where he talked about um, self-limiting technology. And it's like a technology whose use leads to less use. Um, mm. So it wasn't even related to blockchain, but then I found out that he um, is at a company called Cello that is a, blockchain company it's built on top of ethereum and they're i mean they're kind of just re-envisioning how we view money like there was another talk he gave um we talked about like the things that backs the things that back money are things that we value and so like yeah. what if we had money that was backed by natural resources and so cello is actually a carbon negative blockchain mm -hmm. because like the way there's they have a bunch of different things they're doing, but at least one of them is they work with a company called Ren, W-R-E-N. And like as money is spent, they are like planting forests or that sort of so thing. Cool. So, so cool. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's interesting. So <clears throat> what I'm hearing is that 
some of the why behind Web3 is, is just forcing us to reevaluate our systems, like systems beyond just application development, right? It's like, why, why does money work the way it is? Why do things have value the way they have value? Why do we, why do we accept a receipt shows proof of ownership or a, uh, a signature, physical signature, uh, shows that the real person did the real thing, which by the way, that's driven me crazy. Just as a side note, a little rabbit trail, a physical like scribbling of the hand on paper has not been an accurate way to prove anyone owns anything for a long time. I know that there's people that say like, Oh, you know, they can see the loop on how you did <laughs> your G and I'm like, no, they can't because I do it different. Sometimes I do a cursive G and then sometimes I do a, a whatever I, I'm, I digress. But what my point is, is I see that it's, it's, it's calling into question some of these things that we've just accepted as being true for so long as saying, how do we view ownership? How do we view value? How do we view, um, and then you get into DAOs and you get, how do we view a collective, um, nature of coming together to make decisions? Um, that becomes really, paradigm shifting in culture and society and business um even if we go well yeah, it's a blockchain or it's something else or it's you know that seems to be the most obvious way to do it now um is that is that at the root of the why is that what we're saying i think i think it's a big part of it i think i'm the more i learn the the less i'm satisfied with the way things are if that makes sense. Not hmm. that web three is the answer to everything, but I, I see because I'm exploring more about the things that I've taken for granted for the last however many decades of my life. It's, uh, I see more opportunities within the not, the not blockchain world as well, because it's, it's forcing me to ask different questions. And, uh, so I, I guess, uh, how can we do that better? Is there, is there a different way? Um, can we ask, deeper questions to be up fair in, tyler if it was up to you i think we would all go back to living off the land and trading um furs that we trapped <laughs> over the weekends um but dan's like i like that idea <laughs> I, I spent a few days tyler, bringing down a tree this weekend yes <laughs> tyler, few, yeah, yeah, exactly. what you said there basically um so if you travel and you go experience a brand new culture so you go anywhere um, mm. typically you have some level of an experience could be good, could be bad. Um, well, for this instance, we'll just say a good experience and a completely different culture. When you're introduced into something that is, um, maybe not completely, but almost the exact opposite of the way you do things that are normal and consistent in your life, it's going to cause you to reflect on what I, what I have termed as normal because of my daily rhythms mm -hmm. or the culture I live in. Mm -hmm. So when we went to Italy, the, what we loved about that culture was the pace, um, slow and they took their time. It was patient, a lot of togetherness, you know, meals lasted several hours versus 10 minutes and then on to the next thing. And that was something that caused us to just look at our pace of life. Um, but you have to be jostled a little bit, you know, you have to, mm -hmm. something has to come in and kind of not necessarily uproot, but maybe push and challenge. And I think as I've heard you speak, that's kind of what I'm thinking is that web three research, researching it, understanding it, it's new, it's novel, um, is causing us to look, okay, well, what does that mean for how we currently do things? And why do the, the things that I just take for granted, why do they function that way? And how might we in, um, introduce some of the new into um, the way we do things now, but not necessarily replace? So I think I just processed out loud what I think about Web3. <laughs> for I think, this. I think that's, is, uh, that's a great analogy. We just, we just it, yeah. we went along with you. I liked it. So, yeah. so um, that's a great analogy. Yeah. And I, I want to bring it into the work world, at least Krema's work world. Because a lot of our clients, we are doing what I'd call small-scale digital transformation, where the clients, they they do some work, and it's either with paper or Excel spreadsheets or whatever, and we are building software to help them 
be more efficient with that and do that in a fundamentally different way. And so for us, because we live in this technology world, it's easy for us to come into that their world and say, why do you mail that thing and send it to this person? They It goes through their process and they mail it back. That takes two weeks if we're lucky. And not to mention the uh, the cost of the paper, the envelopes, the postage, the storage of all that paper. And it's all the best way that we've recorded information and transactions for the last how many hundreds of years. It's just writing things down. Mm-hmm. And not to say that that's not a good thing, but it's we have to ask the question, is that always the best thing? What mm-hmm. what can be improved about that process? And we already do this with Web2. And so, I mean, it's what we yeah. do as a company. Yeah, we ask yeah, those kinds right. of questions of those clients that they come to us for that reason. And so Web3 is just an extension of that to say, all right, is it best for us to store this information in a centralized database? For most of our clients, probably. Like we're not yeah, getting away from that anytime soon. But Web3 being an option, it's like, oh, how does this challenge us to ask different questions? Hmm. Yeah, do our really employer good. employees or our customers is there value in them having ownership of that contract or idea or asset um, versus us saying, no, it's, it's fine. It's just, it's, we're just facilitating activity. Right. Um, so I guess going back then, you know, some of those core questions, why should Crema care? I'm going off of what you were just talking about there, Tyler and Mandy, even as you've been exploring, you know, testing out using some of these new development languages, um, storing things on the Ethereum network. Why, why should Crema or should we be curious or continue to be curious about web three for our clients, um, for, for the space in general, or as an agency, where's, why should we, why should we keep having these conversations? Yeah. I think like Tyler said, a lot of it is just, awareness like knowing what options you have not that every project needs to or should be built on the blockchain but once you know that it's an option then it's in your your toolbox and you can use it um, if you need to and just thinking about like um, I mean even going back to our purpose as crema Hmm. using design technology and culture to create a world where companies and individuals thrive, like well done, well done, Manny. Thank cool. you. I I did admittedly look it up before. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I have to I have to check it every once in a while. Um, but you know, like just asking the questions of how could we do that better with blockchain? Like, yeah. are there even like realms that we haven't gotten into before? Like, I mean, I keep going back to Seth Cambar and Cello, but like they work. Uh, a DAP that has built been built on Cello is called Impact Market, and they're working to alleviate poverty in yeah. different ways. Hmm. And so it's just like, oh, like how could we get involved with that, or just even, yeah, just branch out in our thinking individually. That's real quick point on that. That I mean, in that case, in that instance, around um, you know, you said alleviating poverty. I know Tyler's brought this up couple times around, you know, banking access. Mm-hmm. And there's so many great, wonderful Unbanked, organizations yeah. that do micro banking and setting up access to, uh, for individuals, whether it's an entrepreneur or just a household or a family to have access to banking in places where a lot of times the money is controlled by, you know, a very unkind group of people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's, yeah, Long just criminal sharks. activity around yeah. there. And, um, those industries who are those organizations that might be something for them to look at it. Can they continue to give access even better access to banking through um, decentralized finance? Um, mm-hmm. Not saying they should, but that's a great use case to where they're doing great things. And is this an option that can help them rethink how they're doing it now and maybe even add or change um, transform, if you will, uh, the way they're doing uh, finance and the way they get people access to banking. Maybe it's a better way for them to reach more people. I don't know, but that's a great use case for that particular group or industry or whatever to step back and think, huh, maybe this technology could help us do what we do better. Yeah, totally. I, I often think about 
uh, mobile adoption in the early 2000s, uh, where the US rolled out internet with landlines, DSL, broadband, even now, uh, my internet that we're recording this is, is it comes into my house through wires. Whereas Africa uh, and other, uh, I don't know what I would call developing areas, they would, they didn't have that, uh, they didn't have that luxury in a way, but they also didn't have that constraint where uh, because they didn't have home internet and wires, they were able to adapt into mobile adoption much faster than mm-hmm. uh, than the US, for example. And so they uh, they were into mobile banking at a much bigger scale faster mm. than we were. And so I think about these uh, non-Western situations where they're working in a very different context. And our financial system, uh, it feels very smooth when we interact with it. It's very easy for me to get money. I know exactly how much money I have in the bank. And that's not true for a lot of countries, to your point, Dan. And so the question isn't, how do I judge their situation based on the comfort of my own situation? But how do I judge their own system on its own merits or demerits? And then say, hmm. and then again, ask better questions about how to solve that. And that, again, that gets really interesting in terms of not just money, but uh, we've talked about certificate, professional certifications, education, identity. Um, how do all these things transfer for somebody as they're fleeing uh, a war-torn area in their own country to go to another country. It's quite those big questions that get really interesting because hmm. right now all of those things are dependent upon a particular, a very small, uh, like a, a centralized government. And sometimes it works out for the U S it, it generally works out, but for other countries, they don't have that luxury. So those are some hmm. super interesting questions. Mm-hmm. Great point. So I know we, we've, man, we were diverging out to like societal world changing, <laughs> uh, paradigm shifting, uh, perspective. I want to bring us back in just a little bit. Cause I think it's a big question. A lot of people are asking is, is this just hype, right? Is it just, um, hype? The two, the two big questions that I see most on the internet, and I don't want us to at least uh, voice our opinions about it. And the, these are just our opinions. I mean, the, the only time will tell how this will play out, but one, is it just hype? Um, is this something where we go, yeah, it's not really all that different and it's just going to play out and we're just going to get on with our, our lives and whatever. Google will still own everything. And, or, or in the second question, just to kind of tee it up is, is it truly decentralized or, or, or how much of it or into what capacity is it still a very centralized approach to getting these things to work or be mass adopted? So just th- throwing that out to the group. One is it just hype? Do we do we think this is this is all fun and games? Um, you know, we just saw a big dip in the crypto market, so is everybody out now? Like, are we done? You know, we all lost our money, so are we going to go home? Uh, you know, like, oh, and then and the question of is is that really tro- showing its cards that there is some level of this? Just you know, it's all still owned by the top four VC companies that are backing it all, right? Thoughts on thoughts on that as we kind of land the plane around um, where this is all going. Is that hype? Is it centralized? This is one of my favorite questions, but I want Mandy to go first. Okay. Yeah, Mandy, I'm curious because <laughs> Tyler and I have nerded out for longer than we should admit to um, outside the podcast on this. What are your thoughts? Um, okay, so that Fireship video that I watched at the beginning, he asked two questions. Is it all hype and should I even care? Right. And he said, the answer to the first one is yes, it's all hype. The answer to the second one is yes, you should care. Yeah. <laughs> um, I so like I feel that. like that's, true. that's maybe kind of where I land is like, or even the question of is it hype is like maybe beneath that is how should I spend my time and what do mm. I value? You know, like, because if it's all hype, if we're making it too big, then mm. are we wasting our time? But then if it's not hype, should I be spending more time on it? Um, and I think... Um, hmm. <laughs> I don't know what my personal opinion is. I guess I feel like it's not like, I feel like there is something underneath it that, that is shifting. Um, I don't know exactly how it'll play out obviously, but for me, I'm going to continue spending time on it. So I guess if that's, the question yeah, that's, is, that says it right. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, and to that end, 
you had something, you had a video. There's obviously m- multiple conversations. The internet's exploding right now that piqued your interest towards it. Mm-hmm. But for you to say, no, I'm still going to stick with it. I still want to play. I still want to learn. Um, that that shows at least some interest to say, there's there's legs here. I think there's something underneath it that I, I want to keep pressing into. Um, and I think, you know, like you said, we don't know for sure. But um, I'm, I'm, Mandy, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very, I'm still very curious. And I think the one thing, oh, here's a question, a follow-up question. Have you felt that as you've gotten closer to it, played with it more, done more research, does it, does it feel more real now than maybe when it was just like this, this kind of, this weird topic on the internet? Yeah, absolutely. I think like getting into the code of it has made it feel more real. Like I can wrap my head around what it is more. And I think like another thing that will help me, like I feel like I've barely gotten into this is like applications of it. And like Mm -hmm. a question I keep asking myself is like, as I hear about these cool blockchain projects, like, well, could this have been done without blockchain and got the same results? Yeah, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, as I think as I keep asking that question and seeing like more of what it is actually providing that couldn't be done in web two. Um, that will solidify it more or less. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Out of curiosity, out of those projects you've been watching, are there any that you're like, oh, that could have just been a web 2.0 project? Um, I mean, I feel like I could have said that about any of them potentially. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. That's fine. That's kind of where, that's where my head spins a little bit too. Yeah, because yeah, if you think of you know a number of the NFT projects out there, maybe even some that you've purchased, you could limit the access or how many there are. You could you create, create an e-commerce. Yeah. yeah, you could create a, you know Shopify or whatever. Go on there and purchase it, and then when you show up to get your access, you print out or have a PDF version of the receipt, which is what we do for things now. It's, you know, you show on your phone or whatever to gain access to a venue or whatever. Um, so yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm with you, Mandy on that one. Yeah. That's a good question to ask, but then uh, maybe a future looking question is like, but now that it is on blockchain and they chose that, are there possible even future applications or taking it further Mm. that may have a limit that web 2.0 would have had a limit there? Um, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I, th- I think I'm with, with you, Mandy, I'm going to continue to research and read. Um, cause it gets me excited. Like, okay, in 10 years when the hype is no longer hype, but there's, you know, like anything else, there's going to be good applications. It gets me excited. Like, okay, what is the future application that no one's really thought about yet? Uh, similar to again, web, web two. When we all have a quantum computer in our basement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or pocket. Uh-huh. So, uh, <laughs> on that note, just a, a quick differentiator. Uh, because it illustrates a, a benefit of Web3 as I see it. So right now, the dominant NFT marketplace is OpenSea. And they've mm-hmm. struggled. They've really struggled to scale. Yeah. It's been really hard. Especially the last few weeks. Yep. Right. But it's been a crazy moment like Zoom at the beginning of the pandemic where they just weren't prepared for it. And so they're trying to play catch up. But uh, OpenSea is it's a centralized marketplace. They have different royalties and different schemes and all that. But it's, it's absolutely dominant. And... Uh, in the last uh, few weeks, another NFT marketplace sprouted up called Looks Rare, and Looks Rare has mm-hmm. a different monetization model. It is, uh, and they incentivize people to sell and buy on that platform much differently than OpenSea does. And they could Looks Rare could only have done that with the blockchain because all of because my ownership mm-hmm. of these assets is on the blockchain, and so yeah, the competitive landscape shifted. is different. It's not who owns my data. It's who enables me to make the best use of my information and assets. And so it's, it's this competitive differentiator that is, from a strategy perspective, it's really interesting. Um, and, but I want to come back to your, your original question, George. Mm. Um, it is, I think it's mostly hype. I don't know that it's all hype. I don't know how to give a percentage to it. It would be an arbitrarily high number though. But, uh, it's my favorite question. 86.25. That's 
yeah, that's pretty good. I think that's, that's good. Okay. Uh, yep. It's one of my favorite questions because it brings me back to a model that has been tremendously helpful for me. It's called the Carlota Perez technological surge model. And uh, this woman, Carlota Perez, years ago, she did research on technological uh, revolutions, as it were. And so things like electricity and the railroad and um, things like that. And so she documented how each of them go through four phases. And, but there are two phases, two main phases. One is the, uh, oh, dang it, it's right here in front of me and I forgot it. Uh, <laughs> the installation, I, knew, I was going to call it eruption. Eruption is, a, is the first phase within the installation phase. And this is where we see a lot of uh, hype and frenzy and investment and the attention just goes sky high. And then there's some sort of turning point, often a crash where a lot of the promises and the, the hype doesn't pan out as expected. But then in a true uh, revolu technological revolution, it picks up and there's synergy between systems. There's, uh, she uses synergy and maturity are in this deployment phase where things start to work together and make sense. And I, this model has been helpful for me because all I see is hype and frenzy in these cases that we're talking about. It's like, well, you could have done that with a centralized database. It doesn't have to be as hard as Web3. But the, the use cases and the questions that it's forcing us to ask and the potential, I think, are pointing to this deployment phase hmm. that looks different than I think we can pr predict right now, just like before the the web, uh, the dot-com boom, there was all kinds of crazy projects and then it crashed and then things started to mature a bit. And it's like, oh yeah, this is everywhere and unavoidable. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking that web three will take a similar path. I just, it's hard for me to predict it exactly, but right now it's worth it to us for, it's worth it for us to explore and understand as best we can in preparation for that deployment phase. And so right. I'm holding a lot of the work that we're doing or the, a lot of the work that's being done outward uh, or out, out there with, with more or less an open hand to say, Oh, this is what's interesting about this. How does this help me understand, uh, web three or web two or the current system, whatever current system they're trying to participate in? Because, uh, I'm convinced that web, whatever web three will look like in three years is not the way that it looks now. It's going to look very, very different and it will change the way that we look at, uh, what we have now in one way or another for better or worse. I'm not quite sure honestly but uh it's i think people it's a it's a big mistake when someone will say the way that web3 is now is the way that it has to be forever right and mm -hmm. if we can say if we can take the good of what we have now and what web3 promises and find a way to meld those together i think it could be pretty tremendous hmm. Y'all, I think this is really good. Uh, it it kind of brings us back to full circle of the, the first episode around one, two, and three, right? Web one, mm -hmm. web two, web three. And it makes me think of when we went from web one to web two, and this is an oversimplification, but there was this, especially in the enterprises, there was a there was a massive, uh, and really up in, until not even just a few years ago, there was still a, a fear of loss of control by moving from these massive server farms that were in the basement of these these enterprises to storing things in the cloud, quote unquote, which is just basically you know a bunch of servers um, distributed around the, the world, there was a there was a huge trust issue there. Of, mm -hmm. Do I trust Google? Do I trust Amazon? Do I trust um, oh you know Microsoft or whatever to to facilitate that for me? Mm -hmm. And like you said, Tyler, there there is always this. Uh, I I'm not going to be able to t to restate her name in the framework, but that there's always that innovation curve, and that's the same curve that like entrepreneurs go through. It's the same curve that like societal changes go through. That there's this like a lot of interest, novelty, experimentation. Um, I think about my kids going out and building. You know, like it snows, and they're just like, I want to go build a snow fort. Immediately they run out and they just start piling up snow in the most inefficient way possible. But in their mm -hmm. mind, they're going to build, you know, Babylon, right? They're going to build mm -hmm. the most incredible tower ever made. And of course, immediately, as soon as it gets like two and a half feet high, it crumbles and falls over. But it teaches them, oh, you know what I need is a more solid foundation. And then mm -hmm. that, that maturity. Now, they could just give up after that first try, which yeah. that is always a question of entrepreneurs or innovative ideas or paradigm shifting technology or, you know, ways of approaching things will be. If this does, and when it does, dip into the 
ugh, this is not going the way we thought it would phase, will we, will we see people go, ha, told you so, we're out, let's just go back to the way things have always been done? Or will mm-hmm. people lean in to go, no, 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 there's something here. Let's take that and, and, and combine what we've learned over a period of time into what the future will actually look like. History shows that usually plays out some, somewhere in between, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I would say to answer the, the big question, why should anyone care about Web3, is that it, it's coming, it's here, and it, it appears to be changing the way we're thinking about certain fundamental ways that things are owned, valued, exchanged, moved around and we're going to stay close to it. We're going to keep exploring, keep our curiosity super high. And, um, because we know that there is a future where all these things will kind of be in play together. So is that, is, mm-hmm. that, is that a good way to say it? I feel pretty confident about that. Okay. I like it. I like it. If you disagree with us, shoot Tyler an email at, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> or text him, text Here's him at, Tyler's uh, number. Yeah. No. Um, well, Mandy, Tyler, thank you for joining us along this, this journey. Um, I think we'll have lots more conversations. Our goal is to actually see if we can't get uh, a few more people into the conversation, um, in the future. Um, we'll kind of wrap this particular three, uh, three story episode series, um, up with a bow and say, I feel like we've, we have a better understanding now. I'm, I, mm-hmm. I do. I, I'm going to go write a app after this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love Mandy's laugh. She's like, sure you are. You don't know what that means. Let's let's do it together, George. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next time. See you. This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with support from Julie Branson and Steph Inger. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.